come and take the service. Ben, turn that clock off. Thank you, preacher. What an honor to be here today, and thank you for all of the wonderful, wonderful uh, Christ-honoring music. Uh, if you did not enjoy that music this morning, you're going to be miserable in heaven. You say, what do you mean by that, Brother Gibbs? Well, if I read my Bible right, and I promise you I do, we're going to sing like that for all eternity. And we're going to praise the Lord. And for some of you, it'll be a first-time experience. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I loved your choir. Uh, Brother Fallur, I've said this everywhere I go. I believe in America, it should be perfectly legal to shoot a bad choir. You ought to just be able to stand up and put them out of their misery, all right? You say, why would you say that? Because a choir can dig a hole that no preacher can get out of. Boy, that choir was just terrific. And I like how that young man leads that choir. He doesn't exactly lead it. He threatens it. Boy, he's just up there pouring his heart into it. It is just wonderful. It's been a real treat for us to be with your preacher, uh, this precious man of God and his family. Brother Fallor has put heart into so many us over and over again. He put winds in our sails. And we are just thankful to get the privilege to be here. We are legal missionaries. We are lawyers who defend God's people nationwide and in 26 foreign countries. But America is now off in an unusual direction. How many of you figured that one out, right? And boy, I just want to tell you things that but the, what we're now litigating every day in our ministry nationwide, I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. I didn't think my grandchildren would see it. But suddenly the faith is under attack as never before. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I want to ask you a simple question that you and own can answer. How's your joy this morning? How's your joy? I hope you understand something. It's a sin to be a grump. It's a sin. It's not something that's just undesirable. It's not a character flaw. It's a sin. God's people are commanded by God to be a people of joy. The second fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, when God says, you want to know if my spirit is leading you, he said, here's the marks, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, hope. I was in a courtroom, and a federal judge called me up, and he said, uh, I've been listening to these preachers you've been putting on the witness stand, Mr. Gibbs, and these Christians, and he said, do I understand that their faith commands joy? It commands it? And do I understand you have a divine resource of joy? I said, Judge, say that again, would you? He said, you have a divine resource of joy. I said, that's correct. He said, then how come we see so little of it? If you've got a divine ability to be joyful, and if your faith commands it, after the last presidential election, something happened in America that I couldn't quite explain. 
all of a sudden our people went into a funk. Everybody's like, what is happening? Listen, God never wanted you or me to be in a funk. He wants us to be joyful. And the apostle Paul tells us exactly how to be joyful. And that's what we're going to read. I promise you right now. And by the way, turn to the person sitting next to you and tell the person sitting next to you, it's a sin not to be joyful. Tell them, it's a sin. It's a sin. Wow. Now listen to what Paul had to say in Acts chapter 20. We're going to start reading at verse 22. The Ephesian elders have come to get a hold of Paul. And Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. And the Ephesian elders who love Paul dearly are saying, Paul, you do not want to go to Jerusalem. Mercy, they're going to, they're going to imprison you. They're going to beat you. They're going to kill you if they can. Whatever you do, do not go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, no, I'm going to go. In spite of all, these men love him. They appreciate him. But they're saying, Paul, don't go up there. Man, that is trouble, trouble, trouble. And listen to how Paul responds to them. Verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. Man, God's leading me to trouble. Do you realize sometimes it is God's plan for you and I to go through difficulties? He says, I'm bound in the spirit. Uh, we've got this notion that Somehow, if you're living right, God will just help you circumnavigate around any problem or trouble. That's not in the book. He said, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now, can you imagine if we were with Paul? And Paul said, y'all want to go to Jerusalem with me? But I'm telling you up front, we are going to have one hard time of it. Bonds and afflictions are going to be our lot. Beatings. Friends turn on us. Wow. But look at verse 24, because now he tells us how to get joy. But none of these things move me. What does it take to move you? What does it take to move me? What is it that can squelch the joy in your life? You want to know how good a Christian you are? What does it take to squelch the joy? None of these things move me. Wow. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with, I'll say the next little three-letter word. Say it out loud. Joy. Paul, man, you're, you're in for a rough lot. He said, I know. But he said, none of these things move me that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. How's my joy? How's your joy? Now, I want you to listen to these verses. Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nothing makes God's people more anemic than a lack of joy. God says, joy is your strength. Don't you catch it? It's not a desire extra. 
Joy is a divine resource from God. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Wow. John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you. This is from the lips of Jesus, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. God doesn't want you to have some joy. But yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. No, no, stop. That my joy might remain in you and that it might be full. John 16, 22, your joy no man taketh from you. Now, the only person who can surrender your joy is you. Nobody can take it from you unless you surrender it. And you know what I'm watching? I'm watching God's people surrender their joy. And all of a sudden, our kids are watching it. I wonder if I could talk to your kids before you could talk to your kids. And before you could say, now don't you say anything to that lawyer. Don't you say anything to him. And that'd be good advice. But I wonder if your kids would say, mom not be joyful? No. That'd be a sin. Mom's always joyful. Dad. Dad not be joyful? If you could run with us, would you say, Brother Gibbs, not be joyful? These precious men of God that are with me here? The only person who can take it from you, no man take it, you surrender it. Chapter 16, verse 24, asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. God doesn't want you to have some joy. He wants it overflowing. Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope filled you with all joy. Wow. 1 Peter 1, 8, I love this one. Joy unspeakable. You can't even describe it, it's so magnificent and full of glory. Would anybody around you say, wow, what is that? It's unspeakable. Well, Brother Gibbs, I'm joyful it just doesn't show. You can't hide joy. By the way, don't you forget this. Your face is God's billboard. He created your countenance. That's what the Bible calls it. You want to know if joy is in there? Take a look at the billboard. Wow. Mercy. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy. 1 John 1, 4, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Do you realize this is over and over and over? Why does God keep repeating it? Because it's critical in life. You know what I'm discovering? Young people who come up to us and say, well, when we go to church, it's one thing, but then we get in the car. And the joy's all gone. Then we go home and there's no joy. Oh, don't you let that happen. Our joy is to be full. Jude 24, exceeding joy. Wow. Mr. Gibbs, do I understand you right? You have a divine resource of joy? Absolutely we do. But Paul gives you three keys. And by the way, if you're here and you say, I just like being a grump. I just happen to like it. Stop it. It's a sin. 
It's a sin. God had just as soon you cuss, drink, or do something else. Stop it. Joy is a command of Scripture, exceeding joy. But three keys. Write the three keys down. By the way, how many of you want joy? You, you want joy. Oh, yeah. You say, Brother Gibbs, boy, I need this. You don't know my mother-in-law. You don't know my boss. You don't know what I'm going through health-wise right now. You don't know these problems I'm entertaining. Well, listen, Paul lays it right out for us. Here's the first key to joy. Write this one down. You've got to get your eyes off of circumstances. Circumstances have nothing to do with joy. Nothing. None of these things move me. Wow. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to go through. But joy is not governed by circumstances. It's never governed by circumstances. Wow. Now, by the way, the world got this all backwards. And now the church is following the world. Here's what the world says. Give me the right circumstances and I'll be happy. And they have confused happiness with joy. Happiness and joy are two totally different things. Happiness depends on circumstances. That's where the word comes from. Happenstance. Happiness. God says, listen, you're going to have some tough circumstances, but that does not touch your joy. Wow. What does it take to knock your joy button off? Joy. Happiness comes and goes. And by the way, happiness is like an emotional roller coaster. Oh, give me all the right things and I'll be happy. But give me difficulties and boy, do we ever get them because we deal with lawyers every single day. Do you understand? Our ministry gets 100,000 requests for help a year. And all of a sudden, boy, these circumstances just keep flowing over you. And the financial difficulty of handling it all and God says, that's got nothing to do with joy. That's circumstances. You have a divine resource, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I was in China with Dr. Paul Chapel, And we got invited to go to a, a church, an illegal home church. Now, let me make sure you understand. These people get caught going to church, they kill them. They said, if you get caught going to this church, they'll put you in jail for a couple of days, Mr. Gibbs, but then they'll release you and immediately export you out of the country. Are you sure you want to go? They said, to get to this church, we got to walk through sewers and basements, and we got to walk for hours to make sure we're not followed. And we did. And finally, we came up through a sewer into a building. And here in a room about this size were 60, 70 Christians holding church. Who, if they get caught, they're dead. Their children are dead. I wonder how many of you to come this morning. Now, remember, we're to forsake not the assembly of ourselves together. Well, we came up and, boy, these people were just so joyful. 
And a young lady came up to me, a teenage girl, Chinese girl, beautiful young lady. And she said, I'm going to sing before you preach. I said, oh, great, great. She said, could I sing twice? I said, you want to sing twice? She said, please. I said, oh, sure, you sing as much as you want. No one had ever asked me that before. She walked off and the pastor walked up by me and he said, can I explain what that's about? I said, you bet. He said, Brother Gibbs, a year ago, they caught her dad going to church and they killed him. They tortured him, but he wouldn't give up the church and they killed him. A month ago, they captured her mom and her brother and they've killed them, they tortured them. And now she knows they're trying to get her. She thinks this might be the last church service she's ever in. So she'd like to sing twice. What would you sing if this was your last church service? If you knew high probability you'd never make it back alive Whoa. you know the first song she sang Sunday school song I got the joy 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 where down in my heart down in my heart to stay preacher I wept uncontrollably I thought, God, I am not worthy to be in these people's presence. Your joy is not governed by circumstances. And she sang with her face just radiating. It was her last church service. Within a month, they caught her and tortured her mercilessly, skinned her alive but she wouldn't give up the church. And she wouldn't stop testifying to all the men that tortured her. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Circumstances never govern joy. And don't trade happiness for joy because your happiness will come when things look good. And then all of a sudden there's a bad doctor's report or suddenly you're just in something you could never ever have imagined. And God says, that's got nothing to do with joy. None of these things move me. That's the key. When I was eight years of age, my mother contracted polio. I still vividly remember it. She said, run, get your dad. I think I'm really sick. She was, was quarter to five in the morning and she's at the stove fixing breakfast for everybody. And I ran out to the barn and got my dad. And my dad came running back. And my mom had stumbled into the living room and was on the couch shaking violently. Polio, spinal meningitis had come to our house. She couldn't breathe. Blood was pouring out of her eyes and her nose and her mouth. And she was gasping. My mom was the church pianist. 
Juilliard trained. It wasn't anything she couldn't play. I mean, any classic, anything. She, by sight, she had this gift with her hands to play. And now she's on that couch just shaking and convulsing. And I remember when the, the medics came, they said, we're going to punch a hole to see if we can help her breathe. They put a hole in my mom's throat the size of a 50-cent piece. They told my dad, we're going to try to get her to the hospital alive, but I don't think she's going to make it. I thought, what are you talking about? That's my mom. She's got to make it. When they took my mom out the door, I didn't realize I wouldn't see her for two and a half years. For two and a half years, she lived in an iron lung. Couldn't breathe. Had to have that machine. Finally, my sister and I got to see her. When we got to see my mother, they rolled her iron lung up. We're on one side of a, a glass wall. She's on the other. We couldn't be in her presence because of the contagion. And that machine scared me. Then I could hear my mom over the speakers say, would you, would you turn my head so I can see my kids? I haven't seen them in two years. And when they turned her head, it hurt her. And I got upset. I thought, God, you took her hands. She can't breathe. You could have left her neck. And the minute they turned my mom's head, she looked at me, and she didn't say hello, she didn't say hi, she didn't say how are you. She looked at me and she said, Davey, don't you think that? How many of you know moms can read their kids' faces? <laughs> don't you think that? And I did what every kid does, I denied. I said, don't think what, mom? What she did next changed my whole life. She said, son, the Bible says he's doing all things well, and I still have my joy. Two years in an iron lung? Music, which was your life, gone? None of these things move me. Joy unspeakable. Oh, boy, you've got to get your eyes off of circumstances. Now, if you're here and you're not saved, circumstances are all you have. Because, you see, you can't have joy unless you know the Savior. Because the day you get saved, not only are your sins forgiven, but his spirit moves in and you're a new creature. And you have the ability for heaven-sent joy. Wow. First thing, you want joy, you got to get your eyes off of circumstances. Write number two down. And boy, he says there, you got to be willing to serve. Look at what he says there. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. You understand, Paul wasn't living for Paul. He was living for others. 
Now, everybody's here either living for yourself or others. And boy, in America, especially with the good life, somehow living for self just is no problem. We don't even think it's a sin. And yet the Bible says that we're not called to live for ourselves. We're called to serve others. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. I wonder who the greatest man in this room is. I promise you it's not me. Because I know better servants in this room than I am. I wonder who the greatest woman is here. It's servanthood. Now, nobody's a servant by accident. You're a servant because you've been called. We're to be edifiers. My wife, when we go to church together, boy, I've heard her pray this prayer a thousand times. She'll say, God, there's, there's somebody in there that needs me. I just don't know who they are. I want to serve them. When's the last time you said, God, spend me, spend me, use me. Let me be a servant. Oh, yeah, but you do stuff for people and they don't even appreciate it, Brother Gibbs. God never said they would. You're not doing it so that people can appreciate you. And by the way, that's how this all got messed up. Somehow, we got this notion that if I do something for you, you owe me. Preacher, now I did something for you, now you owe me. And so, don't you forget, you owe me. That's nuts. That's not servanthood, that's favor swapping. Do you understand? You got it backwards. The privilege is in serving. Wow. People get this all messed up in our ministry all the time. They call us and... My staff will tell you, they thank us and thank us. I say, stop, stop, stop. You got it backwards. Thank you for letting us serve. The privilege is in servanthood. The privilege is not in what you did for somebody. Oh, wow. My dad, when I was a teenager, came to me and he said, I'm worried about you. He, he said, you're selfish, David. You, you don't have a heart to serve others. And I said, I think I'm okay, Dad. Now, if you think you're okay, that's proof you're not okay. He said, well, I want to teach you a little lesson this summer. Now, we were in the cattle business big time. My family slaughtered five to 7,000 cattle a week. And uh, we planted corn every year. We would put in seven, eight, sometimes as much as 10,000, but most of five, five, six, seven thousand 7,000 acres of corn. And my dad said, uh, we got a lot of corn to put in this year, but our neighbor down the street, the Tates, uh, he's real sick, and they don't have anybody to put their corn in. And my dad said, I want you to go offer to put Mrs. Tate's corn in for free and serve them. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, Dad, this is a bad idea. How many of you know kids are full of stupidity, just full of them? <laughs> I love teenagers because they're so unbelievably stupid, okay? 
And by the way, when you were a teenager, you were just that stupid. I said, Dad, we don't want to do the Tates. My dad said, why is that? I said, well, here's number one. Here's number one. We don't have time to mess with them. Dad, we're loaded with what we got to get done. We're battling equipment trouble and weather and everything. We, we ain't got time to mess with others. That's the devil's trick to get you not to be great. I don't have the time for you. I got to focus on me. No, 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 no. My dad said, no, that's the proof why you need to do this. Nobody is a servant by focusing on themselves. Wow. By the way, do you realize if Jesus focused on himself, he'd have never gone to the cross? The only reason you're going to heaven is because Jesus focused on you. I said, but I got a second reason. He said, what's that? I said, if we're going to pick somebody, not Mrs. Tate, I said, she's the meanest, nastiest woman sucking breath on God's planet. I said, Dad, all that woman does is cuss at us all the time. She shoots her shotguns at our dogs when they're chasing her cats. And, and Dad, she is not nice. I mean, if we're going to pick somebody to serve, let's get somebody nice. Now, you understand what you're saying is, if you're nice, maybe I'll do something for you. But if you're not nice, why would I do something for you? By the way, if that was God's standard, you'd never get anything. He said, no, she's perfect. He said, come on, we're going to go offer to put her corn in for her. Now, this is another couple thousand acres. We walked up at their house, knocked on the door. Mrs. Tate came, held the screen door open. She didn't say hi, you know what she did? Blankety blank blank, what are you doing, little Gibbs? What do you want? I mean, she didn't say hi, she cussed me out. I turned to my dad, I said, you hear that? <laughs> this is who we're gonna be nice to? She said, what do you want? I said, I want nothing, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> my dad grabbed me, he said, tell her why you're here. Now, servanthood is not an accident. And that's why most Christians are so good at not serving. Or they want to serve where they get praise and credit. Huh. I said, I understand your husband's sick and you guys can't get your corn out. Blank, 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 what's it to you? Yeah, he's dying. And I'm thinking, Dad, you got a bad choice here. My dad said, tell her what you want to do for her. I said, well, my dad thinks I'm selfish. You know what she said? Blankety blank, your dad is right. <laughs> I said, we want to help put your corn out. We'll do it for you. She said, why would you do that? Then she looked at me, she said, I'd never do it for you. <laughs> do you understand how mixed up we are? My dad said, Miss Tate, we're Christians. And our faith commands us to serve. 
and greatness is in servanthood. Hmm. She said, well, I don't have any money. My dad said, we'll take care of it. She said, my equipment's not ready. My dad said, we'll use ours. She said, I don't have feed or herbicide or seed. And my dad said, we'll take care of all that. Then my dad looked at her and said, please give my boy the privilege to serve you. Now catch this. I never forgot his words. Servanthood is a privilege. Not being served. Servanthood is a privilege. Hmm. I wonder how many ranked on God's scale last week. We left and went back, and my dad's farmhands came up by us. And I remember Earl Meeks had been with my dad a long time. He said, what, what in the world's going on? Do I understand right we're going to go after another couple thousand acres? I said, yeah, my dad thinks I'm selfish. And Earl said, well, that's right. That's, <laughs> I thought, everybody sees it. We put their stuff out. Now, on our farms and in our slaughterhouses, we worked 24 hours a day, six days a week, never on Sunday. I mean, we'd work right up till midnight, Saturday night, and then we'd be back in the field at 1 a.m. Monday morning. And I'd be out doing their corn, and my dad would be out there. He said, I want to do this with you. My dad's got a thousand men working for him. And here he is out in the field with me in the middle of the night. He said, I want you to see servanthood and I want you to be a servant because he said, you're going nowhere with God until you do. Hmm. We got their corn out and got it all harvested. Then we took the money back to them. Knocked on their door. Miss Tate opened it up. My dad said, hand her the check, David. We handed it. She started weeping. She said, I don't understand you people. If the world, you make sense to the world, we're in trouble. Because they think what's in the Bible, the Bible says is foolishness. She said, I know you guys go to church all the time. You've invited us a hundred times. She said, any chance we could go with you next Sunday? Come on. Amen. I said, sure, we'll pick you up. Good thing they went. Her husband got saved. Two weeks later, she got saved. When her husband died... At the funeral, she walked up to me and hugged my neck, and she said, Little Gibbs. I know that's hard to imagine. Everybody <laughs> called me Little Gibbs. And she said, Little Gibbs, be like your dad. What's the model for you? 
You want joy? You got to get your eyes off of circumstances and you got to be seeking to serve. Write number three down and we're done. And we're done. Number one, no circumstances are going to govern us. None of these things move me. Wow. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Man, listen, the, the precious thing about life is that you get to spend it for others. That's what's precious. But then look at the next one, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You want joy, eyes off of circumstances, deciding to serve, and then witnessing. How's your witness? Now, everybody here is called by God, commanded by God to be a witness. Well, yeah, but Brother Gibbs, I, I'm just not good at it. Well, I got good news for you. Nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to be good at it. You're commanded to be faithful at it. Who did you witness to? Can I tell you what's frightening to me? We've never had nicer looking tracks. We've never had better materials. And we've never used them less. How is that? Who last week did you take a minute to share the gospel with? One of the things is we travel America. Boy, we work to hand out gospel tracts everywhere we go. And, and it amazes me. You walk up to people and say, you got any idea what it takes to go to heaven? And they're clueless. They have no idea. And God says, I'm commanding you, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That wasn't just addressed to your pastor or missionaries. That's addressed to every child of God. How's your witness? I hope this isn't true here. But in our trials, can I tell you what we find? In good churches, less than 6% of the people ever witness. They're going to ask you on the witness stand under oath. How much do you witness? Does your faith command it? Because what they want to say is, you got this faith, but you guys know you don't want to do it. You just don't do it. Whoa. And in our trials, we find less than 4% of the people do it with any faithfulness. I just heard your pastor talk about this parade coming up and the chance to go witness. Listen, you want joy. We got to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's a key. A dear friend of mine, uh, his name is Mark Smith. He's a pastor in Tacoma, Washington. His mother lives over here in Jacksonville, and she was dying. Her whole life she's been a great witness, a great soul winner. But now she's bed-bound, she's dying. And she called her son, and she said, Son, I'm bed-bound. I, I am too sick to get out of bed. I can't move. But I want a witness. He said, Mom, God understands you. You've walked hundreds of people down the aisle, hundreds and hundreds. And she said, no, I'm, I'm, I, I want my last days to be my best. Now, she's bedbound. And she said, here's what I want you to do, son. Would you get me the cheapest telephone you can get? 
I only want to make local calls. And she said, don't, don't pay for an expensive, just get me the cheapest phone you can get, and I need a phone book. He said, Mom, what do you need a phone book for? She said, I'm going to pick names at random out of the phone book and call them and witness to them. I can do that from my bed. He said, Mom, nobody's going to respond to that. She said, they'll have to. That's all I have left. That's all I have. I can't move. He said, David, we got her the phone, and we got her the phone book. And he was there. She said, open it up. She dialed the number her finger hit. You know what she'd say to him? My name's Betsy Smith. And you don't know me, and I don't know you. And I picked your name at random out of the phone book because I'm dying. But I have eternal life, and I'm heaven-bound. And could I talk to you about how you could have eternal life? The first name she landed on got saved at random out of the phone book. That's all she did then. You say, how effective was it? Well, she prayed the sinner's prayer with over 300 people on the phone, picking their name at random. You say, well, how many of them really meant it and were sincere? Well, 150 of them walked the aisle at her church with her not able to be there and got baptized. Do you understand the power of the gospel? It's not you who does it. It's not me who does it. It's the Lord and the power of the gospel. But the devil just wants you to be quiet. The devil's best friend is a Christian who doesn't witness. An unsaved person can't witness. We have the ability to share the gospel. You want joy? Wow. Number one, you've got to get your eyes off of circumstances. Number two, you want joy? You've got to become a servant. Neither count on my life dear unto myself. And number three, that I might witness of the ministry of the gospel. I don't know what last week was like for you, but I want to assure you next can be unlike any you've ever had because you can have joy, unspeakable joy. Your life can be full of joy, and it joy is your strength. Wow. I promise you, right now America needs to see some joyful Christians. Some Christians where you say, I want what they got. I want that. Wow. It's an amazing thing. At the funeral for Betsy Smith, all these doctors and nurses came and they said she was in such pain and bedbound. But she had joy. My mom, at the end of her life, suffering with polio, all the doctors and nurses, when we take my mom in, they would all say, everybody wants to be by your mom. Because she has joy.
She has no reason to be joyful, but she has joy. Would anybody want to be by your side? Would anybody want to be by mine? That I might finish my course with joy. Bow your heads in prayer. Father, what a thrill to know we have a divine resource. What a thrill to know that no man can take it from us. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Heads are bowed. How many of you say, Brother Gibbs, I know the Lord is my Savior. But boy, this morning the Lord spoke to my heart. And I want that joy. I want to get my eyes off of circumstances. Circumstances only govern happiness. They never govern joy. And by the grace of God, I want to be a servant. Oh, that's critical. And by God's grace, I want to witness. My heart's been touched this morning. I want that joy. If that's true, hold your hand up right now. Hold your hand high. Hold your hand high. You have your hand up as the piano plays. I want you to step out from where you're seated and come to this altar. Don't hesitate. You come right now. Life's not governed by what we hear. Life's governed by what we do with what we hear. Joy. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, joy. Oh, I promise you, God wants us to have it. We sure need it. Our world is dying for it. Father, I bow with these precious folks. By your grace, by your power, we want to be a people of joy. Forgive us for confusing happiness with joy. You don't have to fix our circumstances. Joy has nothing to do with circumstances. That little Chinese girl, I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. God, forgive us where we've been selfish and not served. By your grace, by your power, we want to be a witness. That changes everything. God, hear the cry of every heart here. And Father, when we leave here today, the devil doesn't care what we've heard as long as we don't do anything with it. This can be the day that we're filled with all joy by command of our faith. Indeed, Judge, we have a divine resource of joy. Hear our cry in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Head still bowed, you make your way back to your seat. I wonder if there's someone here this morning you say, I'm not sure. If this was my last day on the planet, and I hope it's not. But if it's sundown tonight at dusk, you are going to be in eternity. Where would you be? Seven times, preacher, I've preached the last message a healthy teenager ever heard. They thought they had forever. I thought they had forever. Nobody's got a lease on tomorrow. Nobody. Nobody. 
God says, in that day that you step out of this life into eternity, there's only one question that has to be answered. Who's going to pay for your sins? It's really simple. There's two choices. You could pay for them after all. You did them. That'd be fair. You should be held accountable. But boy, the payment is hell for all eternity. Or you can accept the payment that Jesus did when he paid for your sins on that cross. Do you understand when he died on that cross, he didn't pay for any sin he did. He was sinless. He paid for my sins. He paid for Pastor Fuller's sins. He paid for your sins. Brother Gibbs, I'm not sure. I'm not sure heaven is my home, but I want it to be. I want to beg you, let us pray with you right now. I sat through hundreds and hundreds of church services and said, well, maybe I'm saved and just don't know it. No, these things are written that ye may know the Bible says. Brother Gibbs, pray for me. I want to know. I want to be sure heaven's my home. Pray for me this morning. I want to know that Jesus is my Savior. If that's true, slip your hand up right now, right where you're seated, and I'll pray for you. We won't embarrass you, I promise you, but we want to pray for you. Is there one anywhere here? Father, I don't see a hand, but it doesn't matter. We're only looking on the outward appearance. You're looking at the hearts. By your grace, don't let somebody leave here without the Savior. Please, Father, you love them and you died for them. Thank you for this morning. Now may the joy, unspeakable joy, leave here. Not governed by circumstances, governed by being willing to serve and governed by being a witness that our joy may be full. Hear our cry in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's children together said, Amen, Amen. amen.